The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. To our guest, Jason Katz, Managing Director and Private Wealth Advisor at UBS. Jason, when recession is actually part of the Fed's playbook, uh, does that delay then the normal equity bounce back since the Fed, and we just heard this from their commentary today, the Fed is not likely to soften at the first sign of weakness. No, that's exactly right. I mean, look, markets were very ripe for a pullback. You know, the S&P was up 15% off the low. We bumping up against the 200-day moving averages. Multiples got to 17 times. The VIX got to 21. So China just sort of was the cherry on top. And yes, I think today was more about recession concerns resulting from what was happening in China, not to mention how long they remain at whatever terminal rate that they land at. Well, and of course, this is all being reflected in the the bond market in particular. And, you know, with where we've gone with the bond market, I mean, it's it's been a horrible year if you're just uh, there for the price action. And we're looking at what uh, the worst year, I believe, for fixed income since 1994. Surely this uh, is also at the same time one where one would consider uh, looking for gains in terms of the amount of juice you're getting here and the possibility of an uplift. That's exactly right. I mean, this is not only the worst year since 1994, it could be the worst year on record for a balanced portfolio of 60-40. So for investors that have cash or want to pivot a little bit away from risk assets, I think you could definitely find opportunities in fixed income land, certainly with cash alternatives. And even if you extend duration a little bit, despite some of the pullback we've seen on the 10-year you're looking at corporate bond portfolios in that five some odd percent range and getting bonds at discounts. So I think you're going to get returns net after taxes better than the muted equity returns we're likely to see in the next few years. But what's odd is that the equity market doesn't seem to be fully embracing recession. We've had a very nice bounce back and the job growth and everything. It seems like that part of the market is saying things are going to be okay. But then the bond market now, if you look at how much the yield on the 10-year has dropped, it seems that, that the bond market is actually changing from the overall view. Is that not correct? No, that's precisely right. I mean, you're looking at what 40 year uh, highs in terms of of spreads. And I think there's this this push pull between equity investors saying it's going to be a recession, but a long shallow one and the bond market seeing it differently. So we'll see who's right. Generally speaking, the bonds market is correct in in these uh, in these tug of wars. But, uh, you know, look, equity um, earnings have to be revised. The street at a 5% growth next year just seems absurd. Uh, Jason, let's just have a look at these protests in China and how they perhaps move the dial with regards to how you look at uh, the possibility of investing there in the country. Because just in the last few 
couple of weeks, really, we've seen a lot of positivity coming. There's been a real shift in sentiment and made people have really begun thinking that uh, based on a reopened trade, that uh, it's time to perhaps be looking at China rather closely. What's your take? Look, in a vacuum, I think it's an extraordinary opportunity. And yet you have to take into account what's happening there. This negative food feedback loop from the protests have a profound impact on whether you enter as an investor in the short run, the tighter China's grip, the more pushback from their population. And, and the more pushback from their population, the tighter the grip from Xi and company. And I think, frankly, in the long run, this will actually weaken China's power on the world stage. So we think that China, when and if they, not if, but when they do reopen, from a standpoint of valuation, is probably one of the cheapest regions in the world. But the question is when to enter, and it seems a little bit too early to do so. One other outcome that you didn't mention uh, might be that it strengthens some of Xi's opponents within the party structure. Now, uh, looking at the party congress that we just went through, it doesn't seem very likely that uh, – uh, you know, that they're nipping at his heels. But then if this goes badly wrong and you have um, lots and lots of people out in the streets, uh, all of what we saw in 1989, uh, is there a chance that that ultimately forces him to change? It could if he senses that coming. Look, China's the second largest economy in the world, and they contribute around 18.5% to global GDP. And Regardless if the outcome that you outlined comes to pass or not, what's happening in the meantime will weigh on both the supply and the demand side. Demand-wise, uh, clearly having people locked down is not good. And, you know, in terms of the lockdowns, it certainly has and will continue to exacerbate supply chain issues. And this has and will affect corporate earnings. And I don't think that earnings estimates properly reflect what's gone on there and what will likely to continue to happen. Well, we don't know yet, do we? That's that's it. But, you know, it isn't exactly adding as a, a, another kind of leg to the global economy right now, is it? No, it isn't. Yeah, one, one thing. Go, go, go ahead. No, so the thing is, what does that actually mean also in terms of the way that, uh, that inflation is not an issue? And uh, certainly we've got a bit of disinflation, one could argue, too, perhaps in the pipeline, looking at some of those factory gate numbers. Could China again start to export deflation globally? Yeah, you know, that's certainly possible if they remain in this mode. But look, the Fed's policy is really focused more stateside, but now they have to take into account what's happening there. And you know, somebody who manages money for individual high net worth investors, they've gone from obsessing over inflation to now obsessing over a recession. And their focus is completely turned to the previous and the future rate hikes and the effect on the economy here stateside and what it's going to do for corporate earnings. And now that we have divided government, the fate and the onus of the economy in the US and probably globally rests squarely on the shoulders of, of the Fed. And but the Fed rather build a bridge 100 feet too long than 10 feet too short. So yeah. they're going to remain at that terminal rate for some time, and it will weigh on the economy and corporate profits. Well, this begs the question, then, we have these two major forces, uh, China and, and you know the inflation picture globally and, and the Fed's actions. Uh, one has to be patient. You outlined that with China, yet still positive longer term. Uh, in terms of that patience, um, which one will take longer, do you think, to get to a positive outcome from an investing standpoint? I think it's going to take a longer period of time to make China investable. I think oh. the second half of 
next year bodes pretty well here for the U.S. Look, the risk reward globally and in the U.S. in particular is not great in the next six months between inflation, higher rates, earnings estimates coming down, and the Fed just doesn't want a positive wealth effect or any loose financial conditions. But durable improvement in sentiment looks likely at some point next year. That's why we're encouraging investors to remain invested, but tactically, you know, simply and blindly owning um, the indices is not the way that it's going to well, uh, translate into it, results this year. That, that begs a question, Rich. Just let, let me ask this follow to Jason, because, you know, you're dealing with the type of individual as a private wealth advisor at UBS um, who's probably looking pretty long term. When you talk to them about that longer term structure for China, do you get positive feedback or or negative? Generally speaking, negative because U.S. investors tend to have a home bias and they tend to have an us versus them attitude when it comes to investing overseas, especially in China. But sometimes in crisis come opportunity. And, you know, with a country that has such a huge component to the global, the world global supply chain, it's hard to ignore them. And there's certainly opportunities. And it's important that investors gain exposure there when there's peak pessimism. And I'm not sure we're quite there yet. But when it gets there, I'll be doing my darndest to convince them of, of, of wading into the water there. I love the alliteration, peak pessimism. Anyway, uh, Jason, um, you're saying 2023 is going to be uh, a year. Uh, it's going to be defined by a year of inflections and two halves. Where are those inflection points and what, uh, which halves are we talking about here? Well, as I said earlier, the first half of next year just simply is a very challenging period. We've yet to see earnings estimates reflect what we're contending with. But I, I do think now that we've have all these rate hikes under our belt and a few more to go, we'll be at that terminal rate. They'll remain, remain at that terminal rate for a period of time. And then you're going to really have a separation of the adults from the children. And I do think that you know a market of stocks is going to do far better than the market at large. Look, the S&P at 17 times earnings is full and fair. And when historically multiples are that high, earnings growth is usually around 14%. And we're looking at a negative 4%. So the first half of the year is not a great setup. The second half of the year, however, you're going to have yeah. much greater clarity with inflation and the Fed. Perhaps a final question for you, Jason, today. You like bonds, cybersecurity, and healthcare. Uh, which one the most and over what uh, sort of time frame? I'd say without equivocation, cybersecurity. You know, big tech has taken everyone to the table. Everyone's had muscle memorizing it, but that's not what's going to take us home from the party. It's the back end of technology, such as cybersecurity. And attacks are just up exponentially since the war. And the, the 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 amount of spending that's going to have to occur amongst the private and public sector, local governments, universities, hospitals, like it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and how much they need to spend, regardless if we go into a recession or not, as evidenced by Palo Alto's results the other day. So that is a subsector choice that I think is very secular in nature and very investable. All right, Jason, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, interesting insights, and nice to have a little bit longer session with you. Uh, we'll do it again. Jason Katz, Managing Director and Private Wealth Advisor at UBS. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.